This is episode number 140. Rennie Carfrey, Ironman world champion, mother, and super inspiring person. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, sports science, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I ended up winning that day. That really taught me to just focus on myself and give my very best. And then at the end of the day, if you get beaten, you get beaten. You can go home and do your homework and, and try to not let that happen again. But if you give up, then you never really know what you could have done. And I think that's such a bigger failure than doing your best and coming second or third or fifth. I always try to do the best with what I have in the moment. And it's actually played out pretty well for me in my career so far. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I'm having an awesome week and I hope that you are too. I'm pretty excited to tell you all about today's guest. But first, I wanted to let you know that I have some awesome and fun mountain bike jerseys available at moxieandgrit.com. You guys asked for a relaxed fit three-quarter length sleeve jersey, so they are available for pre-order. And the colors are a little bit different than the cycling jerseys with the zip-up that we did about a month ago. So if you are looking for an awesome and fun mountain bike jersey, go to moxieandgrit.com, M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And those are available in a limited amount. And when they're gone, they are gone. And it's been super fun seeing you guys order those. I also wanted to let you know that we added a few new socks on the website. And we have added some new colors for Do Epic Shit. And we've also added a new color for the unicorn socks. So if you want to upgrade your sock drawer, add some new colors, go to moxieandgrit.com. Thanks so much for your support for the brand. It's been super cool seeing you guys and your adventures. And we're also going to start sharing your adventures on our blog and in the Moxie and Grit newsletter. And if you're interested in that, make sure you just go to the website moxieandgrit.com. Awesome. So if you aren't familiar with the triathlon world, I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Marinda Rennie Carfrey. Rennie is pretty amazing. For starters, she is three-time Ironman world champion and has been on the podium at six out of seven Ironman worlds that she has been to. She has also been world champion of the half Ironman distance as well. She pretty much owns the sport. The Australian currently lives in Boulder, Colorado. Standing at five foot three, her first love in sports was actually basketball, and she played for 11 years starting at the age of seven. We got into that in this show. She was introduced to triathlon in college with running as her primary strength. I think Rennie is inspiring for a number of reasons. First, she is someone who thrives under pressure and she has an amazing mindset and attitude. Second, she has an incredible work ethic and positive self-belief. And on top of her busy career, she took a short period of time off to have a baby and continued her career after her baby was born. She said her short sabbatical was something she was ready for, and it was nice to get away from the grind of being a professional triathlete, and the break was just a nice change of pace. If you follow her on social media, you'll see that she is back to kicking some serious butt, and her YouTube channel shows how she and her professional triathlete husband, Tim O'Donnell, live their day-to-day -day life with their little girl, Izzy. And in this episode, we talked about how Rennie manages expectations and pressure, pushing through the pain, 
We talked a lot about her experience of becoming a mom, how she has avoided injury. She's never had an overuse injury and some of her race strategies. I feel like we're super lucky to get a glimpse into Rini's life and how she approaches her racing. And I think that there's a lot for everybody to learn from this awesome episode. If you enjoy it, make sure you share it with your friends, share the love, and hopefully they can be inspired by Rinny too. So here she is, Rinny Carfrey. Welcome to the podcast, Rinny. Thank you for having me, Sonia. You're the first triathlete I've had on the show, so I'm pretty excited to talk to you. Oh, cool. All right. Sounds good. Hopefully I don't let the other triathletes down. <laughs> no, I highly doubt that. <laughs> So I found out that you played basketball for, was it 11 years before you got into triathlon? Yeah, I started playing basketball when I was about seven. I followed my brothers into basketball and played through till basically about 18. And that's when I started triathlon. So, yeah. And the thing I thought was fascinating was that you're five foot three and you're playing like high school basketball. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I didn't grow past 5'3", so kind of one of the major reasons why I decided to pursue a different sport in triathlon. But yeah, I mean, I love played at a fairly high level. In Australia, um, sports are not necessarily, like, you don't really play competitive sports in school. It's more outside of school. Mm-hmm. So I played like a, like a state league team outside of school. and But yeah, I mean... I wasn't going to go play in the WNBA or anything like that. (laughs) But still, being able to play at a high level, I mean, a lot of people probably would have just said, oh, I'm too short, I can't do it. And I think it's so cool that you're like, yeah, I'm doing this. (laughs) Oh, no, I loved it. I, yeah, I mean, absolutely love the sport of basketball. And, you know, it's kind of a shame I can't really go and, you know, do a pickup game of basketball here and there now just because, you know, risk of injury and so forth. And, yeah, I love the team aspect. That's probably one thing I do miss a little bit, being in an individual sport now. But I think what drew me to triathlon was, yeah, because of my height, I was overlooked a lot. I mean, I was always the fittest on the team and willing to do the extra uh, individual training sessions and extra sessions, one-on-one sessions with the coach. And then I was sort of overlooked by uh, uh, girls that were women that were more like, you know, 5'9", 6 foot even if they were much less willing to do the extra work. So, yeah, I sort of saw triathlon as a sport that you kind of get out what you put in. If you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to do the extra sessions and be consistent, then you get the results. And I kind of feel that it's rung true in my career. How did you find triathlon? I was actually doing some off-season gym work, trying to get stronger to deal with the, the bigger girls that I was playing against. Um, so, you know, just trying to bulk up a little bit for the upcoming basketball season and met a couple of triathletes in the gym and ended up, we were kind of doing gym with them and then ended up doing a couple of run sessions a week with them as well. And then one day I was very intrigued with the sport. And then one day their coach just saw me running and said, Hey, you really have a nice running style. Have you ever thought of doing triathlon? And that was kind of all I needed, like just a little door open to say, Hey, maybe you should give the sport a try. And yeah, kind of, I don't know, a year later, I think I did my first short course triathlon and yeah, I've been doing them ever since. 20 years later, we're still doing it. And I mean, you've had, is it three world championships in Ironman? Yeah, three in full distance Ironman and one in 70.3. That's amazing. And like, you've been doing the sport for so long, like how have you kept it fresh for yourself? I think uh, the key to my longevity has been making sure I take downtime 
So, you know, from I feel like I started working with my current coach, Cyrilyn Lee, around 2005. And one of the things she said to me was, look after your body, like just above all else, listen to your body and look after it. And around that time, I was still racing short course, but thinking about going to long course. And I was only at like 25, 24. And I was looking at the best women in the world and they were like 35, mid thirties. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to get to 35, I need to be loving the sport. And so from then we kind of just scheduled out my year and made sure I had downtime, wasn't racing year round, just kind of, yeah, just made sure that I had fun with it and tried to you know, live as normal a life as possible in this kind of abnormal sport. And yeah, I mean, it's just the key to longevity is mental freshness. And I feel that I definitely have that. I still love the sport. I still love racing. And yeah, I feel like I'm still improving. That's so cool. And I also heard on a podcast that you have never been injured. And I think this is really amazing. A lot of times, especially people who do a lot of running, I've, I mean, I was a runner before I was a cyclist and I was constantly injured. Like, are there some restorative things that you've done to ensure that you don't get injured? Well, I think in, in a lot of the endurance world, athletes get injured because of just the repetitive nature of our sports and particularly running and triathlons, no different. Uh, all of my peers pretty much have been injured at one point or another in their career. And I put it down to two things. Um, I think playing basketball for 11 years really built my musculoskeletal system up very well. So I was well equipped to handle the repetitive nature of the single sport, but also good coaching. As I mentioned earlier, my coach always drilled into us to look after your bodies and make sure you get body work. And if you have like a little niggle or sort of some feelings of like soreness or tightness, then get it worked out and um, you take a day off. Um, it's not worth pushing through one session, you know, which could end up being really injured. So I guess just being smart with my training and listening to my body. Obviously, there's probably some genetics that play into it as well. And then obviously good biomechanics is very important for running. So yeah, I think a combination of things, but the uh, number one would be just listening to my body and yeah, making sure I take care of it. And you mentioned staying mentally fresh was also something really helpful to keep you going in the sport for so many years. Was there a time where you felt like you were starting to get burnt out and what were the symptoms for you? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, before I fell pregnant with daughter Isabel, I was, I think it was 2016, sort of 2015 and 2016. I'd won back-to-back -back world championships in Kona and I'd raced very well, very fast. They're sort of achieved everything I kind of dreamed to achieve in the sport. And I kind of knew I was ready to start, you know, a family. And so I sort of started to just not love triathlon as much anymore, not love the daily grind. And my mind was just sort of more on starting a family. And after 2016, I finished second and sort of, you know, said to my husband, yeah, I think it's time to start a family now. Cause I just felt a little like I was just doing the same old races and this and, just didn't feel as fresh. And so, yeah, we actually fell pregnant like a month later. We were very lucky. We were pregnant by Thanksgiving and we found out we were pregnant around Thanksgiving and then had Isabel in 2017 and basically took that year off pretty seriously. Like once I fell pregnant, I kind of released the identity of being a professional triathlete and just focused on, you know, trying to be healthy and give as much energy as I could to, you know, growing this um 
tiny human. And yeah, I really enjoyed that year of just stepping back from being professional. It was, the transition was a little hard the first few months. I felt a little lost, but then as my stomach started to grow, I just became more and more focused on, you know, being the best vessel (laughs) for the baby. And um, Izzy arrived in August, two months before Kona of 2017. And that gave me like basically 14 months to prepare for the next year's Kona. And so I sort of was able to slowly build up and prepare for last year's race. And I, I had a very good year of racing last year. And I was, I think I put that more down to being excited to be out there racing again. And it's kind of a new challenge coming back from having a baby and just kind of not knowing if I could climb back up to the top and compete with the best girls in the world again. And that for me was exciting. And yeah, I kind of exceeded my expectations throughout the whole year. And then this year I've been feeling even better. Um, Physically, I think my body is back to almost where it was prior to having Izzy, but racing as well, if not better than I ever have over the half distance. And yeah, I think the mental game is very strong after having that year off, but physically I feel like I'm starting to really start hitting my stride after sort of a, a tough year last year, getting back to racing. Yeah. How did you manage those expectations for your comeback? One of my good friends, Rachel Joyce, she's also a professional triathlete. She had a baby the year before me. And one of the things she said to me was, don't focus on what you were before, focus on the improvements you're making every week. And they are weekly when you, you know, I put on about 40 pounds with Izzy and obviously a lot of it came off, you know, with the baby, but then you're a different person, your body's different and you're kind of almost going from zero back up again. And, but the improvements come like almost weekly, you're taking like seconds off your hundred meter swim time every couple of weeks. And yeah, I mean, just trying to focus on where you're at and where you're going instead of where you've been before. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe the women are supportive of one another in triathlon then. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's certainly, you know, some athletes you get along with better than others, but for the most part, it's a very warm community. Triathlon in general is a pretty warm community. I think it's a brutally tough sport and, you know, athletes have been to the top, but you very easily can be humbled and get beaten. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's a, a very nice community. I think something that's really interesting for the people listening, because most of the people listening are solely cyclists, we're all wondering, like, how do you train three sports? Like, how do you actually manage your time with that? Because it takes so much work to get at one sport. And triathletes train way more hours, I think, than just single sport athletes do. So how do you do that? Well, I think um, you'll use a swim session sometimes as a recovery session as well. So it's hard to, I guess we probably train a max of 30 hours a week, which I mean, cyclists would get up to those hours, I'm sure, um, in their big weeks, but, you know, probably 15 hours on the bike, you know, eight hours of running and, you know, six, seven hours of swimming, depending on what you're focusing on in that moment. But uh, a lot of the time I'll use like a, I'll go into a hard run session and use a swim session as a recovery session so it might be recovery for a few thousand and then maybe a little bit of work and also cycling is a really good recovery for running as well if you want to spin your legs out after a hard run so you kind of like tie in recovery sessions into the other sports I mean it's a juggling game for sure and you're not always you know doing big volume in all three sometimes you might have a focus on the bike sometimes you might have a focus on the run 
and or the swim. Yeah, I mean, it's totally doable. It's just a matter of figuring out how best to plug in your workouts to, to get the most out of each one. And I guess you kind of pick, I pick sort of two key bike sessions a week, two key run sessions a week, and I have swimming's kind of a separate sport, but um, probably three times a week I have a pretty quality swim session where you're doing intensity. So, yeah, I guess you plan all your other sessions around those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Like swimming in particular, for me, like my joke is I only dog paddle. (laughs) I love running and I love cycling, but the swimming part just seems like it would be so incredibly hard. Well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't a swimmer. I mean, I didn't do really do anything, but swimming is so foreign to anyone who hasn't grown up swimming. And, you know, I did my first swimming with goggles and cap on in when I was 18. So it's definitely been the toughest sport to grasp. Once you get the hang of swimming and once you build up some fitness with swimming, it really is a low-impact sport it, and it really can be a good recovery tool. I mean, I encourage cyclists and runners to get in the pool. I mean, if you're not a good swimmer at all, you don't enjoy it, then maybe not so much because it takes a lot of energy to, to stay afloat if you don't have a technique down. But if you have any concept or um, any technique in swimming, I think it's a great sport for you know just recovery. Mm-hmm. Do you train your strength or do you train your weakness? Because your strength appears to be running. You've had some really incredible running stories in in some of your Ironmans. So what do you spend most of your time doing then? Yeah, I mean, you do train your strength, but any athlete that has a strength in the sport doesn't ever want to let go of that strength. So you want to maintain that strength. But at the same time, the bike is you know, a big chunk of the race. I mean, in the Ironman, it's like four and a half, more like five hours, I'm 180 K or 112 miles. A lot of time can be made up on the bike. And so you have to take that into consideration. And, you know, the swim is kind of the shortest amount of time in a race relatively, you know, 50 for me, probably 55 ish minutes for the swim and 450 for the bike. And, you know, maybe 250 to three hours for the run. You have to take all that into consideration too. And I think the bike is definitely the opportunity to make up the most amount of time or where most amount of um, gains can be made. But at the same time, you can't really afford to let your run slip. I mean, I certainly can't because generally I'm trying to still catch up to the lead girls after losing time on the swim. So, yeah, it's definitely a juggling act and there's no one perfect way to tackle it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we have different phases. As I mentioned earlier, we'll we'll focus on the bike and do like a bit of a bike block and then we'll go back to the run and maybe we'll focus a little bit more on the run depending on the time of the year. And it sounds like there's a lot of also just mental strategy in the race because you can, you can only go as fast as you can go and you have to pace yourself appropriately to your strengths and whatever your pace can be. So in the start of the race, in the swim, like you lose time. And how do you feel comfortable letting that gap open up and then how do you like where do you find the confidence knowing that or believing that yeah this is going to come back instead of letting yourself get into a negative thought pattern of oh like I'm never going to catch up or I guess I'm just going to be whatever place I am because you've made up a lot of time at the very end of these races in the run and I think it takes a lot of mental strength to do that yeah well I think um I've spent my whole career chasing I've never (laughs) been the best swimmer I'm never first out of the water so it's it's very familiar territory for me And yes, certainly there have been times in my career where I've had maybe a little bit of mental weakness getting out of the water so far down and thinking, well, you know, there's no way I can make up time. But I think 
what I learned from that is that regardless of how far down you are, it's still worth pushing yourself all the way to the end just to see where you're at and give yourself an honest indicator of where you're at. And then you can go back and work on, you know, you can take that information and go back to training and figure out, okay, well, I cannot lose that much time in the swim. You know, let's really focus on the swim, um, maybe decrease that deficit a little bit. And then you're more in the game. And yeah, over the years, you just kind of, you know, make those improvements and make those adjustments. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly been races. I mean, one year comes to mind in particular in Kona in, I think it was 2014, I was something like 12 minutes behind, I think, off the bike. I was in eighth position, and I was a defending champion. <laughs> and so I felt like such a failure hopping off the bike, being that far down on the lead. But I made the decision, you know, like I had like a bit of a freak out the first mile or so of the run, but then I made the decision, well, you know, I'm here, I'm fit. I know I looked after myself very well on the bike. I'm going to see how fast I can run today and just see what happens. And I ended up winning that day. And so that really taught me to just focus on myself and just give my very best. And then at the end of the day, if you get beaten, you get beaten. You can go home and, you know, do your homework and, and try to not let that happen again. But I think if you give up, then you never really know what you could have done. And I think that's such a bigger failure than doing your best and coming second or third or, or fifth. So I think I always try to do the best with what I have in the moment. And it's actually played out pretty well for me in my career so far. That's awesome. And I wanted to ask you about pain and like how you mentally process pain. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, because in the winters, I'm spending all my time on the trainer, I'm doing lots of interval mm -hmm. sessions. And I feel like on the trainer, in particular, you can really get silent with your pain because there's no distractions. And I yeah. also feel like I'm a mountain biker. So I feel like road cycling or road running, there's less distraction than if you're out on a trail. So the pain is definitely more front and center in your mind. So like, what are some tips you can give people who maybe shrink away from the idea of pain or feel anxiety about the pain they're going to feel in a race? I mean, I think any practice makes perfect. And as you said, riding on the trainer, there's no escaping the pain. Like sometimes you feel like a minute can go on for an hour um, if, you're, <laughs> if you're really in the thick of a hard session. And uh, yeah, in the past couple of years, I've actually spent a lot of time on the trainer and I feel like it, almost an hour on the trainer is almost like two out in the road. And, you know, my cycling's improved because of it. But what I do when I'm in a lot of pain is just come back to the simple things, um, think about my breathing um, and really just try and focus on one small thing. And I found when I'm really just focusing on breathing and just putting one pedal stroke after the other, the time seems to go quicker. And when you're really involved or really mentally switched on into your session, I feel like that's when the sessions generally go quicker. But yeah, I mean, there's no escaping it. You know, it's going to be painful. If you want the rewards, if you want, you know, to see success in a race, then you've got to make it hurt in training. And generally the harder you work in training, you know, the easier it can be on race day because you're mentally fresher, you're rested. And so certainly it doesn't, I feel like pain is more tolerable when you're well rested. And so, you know, when you're in hard training and you're fatigued, yeah, like it, it sucks. And there's not really any way around it. There's, there's no secret potion. But I think over time, you know, putting in that work, you will definitely see the rewards. And if, you, you know, if it's that important to you, then you'll make sure you, you get the work done. 
I've had some interesting researchers on the show about like perception of pain and mental fatigue and how when you're more mentally fatigued, there's a higher perception of effort that occurs. Mm -hmm. So your brain actually can try to shut you down, but you actually don't need to like you can override that. Mm -hmm. Have you practiced anything like that? I definitely have noticed it. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really think about it too much. I just kind of push as hard as I can with what I have in the session and kind of finish the session and then go on, go on about my day, go on to the next session. But yeah, I mean, I definitely notice that when I'm in really hard training, if I'm really fatigued, it's sometimes the session seems impossible. Like you're in there and you're like, I cannot do this. <laughs> but I mean, you always find a way to do it. And I wanted to ask you also, one of the Ironmans, you got hit by a car like a few days before the start of the race. And how did you just mentally get yourself race ready? Because I imagine that that probably shook you up. And most people would probably start thinking like, oh, I can't do this or oh, my race is over before they even begin. How did you get yourself into a really good mental headspace? Yeah, it was uh, maybe two days before, which is not ideal um, <laughs> for the race. Uh, I mean, it's never ideal. But I, it was actually really, I was very lucky in that I didn't, I mean, I was, I pulled up sore from it, but I really didn't have any broken bones or any like permanent damage. And so, you know, I was pretty shaken up immediately after and certainly in the day after. And you know, my shoulder was pretty sore even during the swim. But I, I met, you know, I'd done all the training all year long. I'd focused my whole year on that race. And I mean, you kind of just, what other decisions either start and don't even have a try and forever wonder if you could have pulled it off or you can go into the race and start and then just see what happens. And I, you know, decided to go into the race and see what happened. And I got to about 80k on the bike and realized it was silly for me to continue. Uh, and so I had to pull the plug there, but, um, I'm glad I at least, you know, gave it a try. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then I, you know, was very disappointing and you know a whole year of work had gone into that race but it was my seventh time racing in Kona and I'd had amazing results every other year and you know never had any bad luck on the island and I sort of just felt well okay this is my bad luck year and we'll move forward and um there's always always next year and so yeah came back in 16 and finished second that's awesome. So you've accomplished so much in your sport. And you kind of touched on this earlier. When you said before you had your child, you felt like you had accomplished everything you had already wanted to accomplish. And it's hard sometimes after you've accomplished so much to set goals for yourself that have meaning. So do you think that having a baby has helped you get more excited about goal setting again, because maybe they're the way that you reach those goals might be different? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, after having a daughter, you kind of perspective on everything changes now she is the number one obviously my husband as well as close second but um <laughs> yeah they're the most important things in my, in my life and then triathlons it's my job it's something I love to do but at the end of the day if I wasn't able to write if somebody said you cannot race anymore I would be okay with that because I have an amazing baby daughter and, and husband and life and so I think that has released a lot of the pressure that I used to feel going into races. Now, when I go into races, I, I don't stress about a lot of the little things that I used to stress about before, um, you know, over wheel choices and tire choices and helmet, what helmet am I going to ride? And oh, my, my, whatever, my, what saddle am I going to use? Or my, my race kit doesn't quite feel as 
what socks am I going to wear? You know, like there's so many little things you can waste your energy and time on worrying about. And now I kind of, you know, I make my decision, you know, I still have to make those decisions, but I make them and I don't second guess them and I move on. And I feel like that has given me much more time and energy and mental energy to put back into the race. And another thing I've noticed is, you know, prior to having Isabel, I would, if I had a bad session, I'd kind of dwell on it and worry about it and mull over it. And and now I finish the session. I do the best I can in the session. I finish the session and then move forward. Okay. What's, what's am I going to do with Isabel this afternoon? Or it's kind of been a, a welcome distraction actually. And yeah, I, I'm really enjoying racing. I don't have I have high expectations. I don't want to say I don't have high expectations because I definitely still have high expectations of myself. But if I fall short of those expectations, it's not like my whole world is going to crumble. It's kind of just like, well, you know, I put everything I could into this race. And if I fall short of what I had hoped, then I can be okay with it. And uh, yeah, in fact, I've actually, I feel like I'm racing as well, if not better than I ever have before. So yeah, I mean, it's made racing a lot more fun because there's less, I think I just have less pressure on myself. I just am going out there to do the very best I can, see what I'm capable of. And yeah, and I mean, it's it's been going great so far. So that also helps. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So it sounds like having multiple identities and multiple senses of purpose, because now there's a lot more going on in your life and a lot more things that make you feel fulfilled. And when there's just one thing where you have to go all in on that one thing and then everything's riding on that one thing, it'd be a lot harder if it's not going well. So do you think for other people, yeah. like maybe people who don't have kids yet, or maybe they still have kids and they still have this like feeling, this like crushing sense of pressure, like finding a way to find joy and sense of identity and purpose in multiple things would help? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I think the most or the overriding factor is that you're bigger than one race. You're bigger than one performance. And that one performance will not define you as a person. And I think now more than ever, I've, I feel that. I mean, I, I had many years where you know, I had to perform. I mean, certainly early in my career because, you know, I needed the money like, to eat, to pay bills, to, 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 to continue on this path before I had any sponsors. And, you know, then you have, you know, sponsors and you're still like striving, for, you know, your, your huge big goals. But I think even then I sort of found that as long as I was honest with myself, as long as I did all the training that I could possibly do, did the right things in training, like worked as hard as I could, did the hard sessions hard, did the easy sessions easy, and then went out in the race and fought to the end, then I could always be okay with it. And I could always be proud of myself for, for doing the best that I could. And yeah, now having having Isabel as well, you know, just gives me more reason to believe that there's more important things than, than this one thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you are so open about having a child and like that whole process. And I want to get into that because it seems like there aren't that many endurance athletes who have gotten pregnant, gotten back into the sport and continued going. It seems like people have a baby when they feel like they want to retire. Yeah. So was it a hard decision to like decide when to, because most people know when, they, if they want a child or not and knowing yeah. when to do it, especially if you're in your thirties and you're female, it's like, well, yeah, I have to well, give up, I have to give up a year or more than a year of my career if I want to have a baby. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a tough decision. And I think, you know, if you'd asked me, you know, five to 10 years ago, I would have said that I would have waited to retire. My, my plan was to continue racing until, you know, we wanted to have a child, then retire from racing and, and have a baby. But then as we moved along, I was still enjoying racing. I was still racing well, but I was 35. And, you know, that scary 35 age is you know, where everyone says, you know, risk factors go up. And I mean, and who knows? And I, because I knew that we, I wanted to have a baby and we wanted to start a family, I just didn't want to risk anything. So risk not being able to have that family. And because that was so important to me, I, I said, well, I'm willing to take a year off and have, you know, a child and then see if I could come back. And I think because I had already achieved so much in the sport, if I had the child and was unable to come back, I think I would have been okay with it. But, you know, the pregnancy went great. Isabel's a happy little baby. And, you know, that gave me confidence that I could go back out and, and continue to race and train and travel with a, an infant, which is a whole nother deal uh, or a toddler now. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's been a really fun, I mean, at times for sure challenging and so much different than before. But I can't even imagine life now the way it used to be. I don't even know what I did with all of my time prior to having Izzy. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's a tough decision, but it's so, totally doable. And um, when we decided to get pregnant, we kind of made the decision that we would have live-in help. So we have a nanny that lives with us, an au pair. She works basically 40 hours a week, so she covers all of my training. And so I'm able to still pursue, you know, the sport properly. I'm able to, you know, there's a couple of maybe sessions here or there that I don't do anymore, but I'm also getting older and maybe it's better that I'm not doing as much junk mileage. So we have to be a little bit smarter with my programming, but I still feel that I'm able to do the amount of work necessary to race at the top level. And, you know, I didn't necessarily want to have, you know, a stranger living with us and taking care of our daughter while I was out training. That's not my ideal scenario, but you know, this is my job and you know, I'm actually fortunate in that I get to see Izzy, you know, all through the day, I come in and out from sessions and get to see her all throughout the day. Whereas, you know, other mothers out there have to go to work and they're, you know, eight to five or eight to six and don't get to see their babies at all through that throughout the day. So yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a great a happy medium for me and it's actually been working out really great we have a, a nanny that she loves and we we love and she travels with us to races and keeps things as normal as possible for Isabel when we're flying all around the world and racing and doing all this crazy stuff did you at first have some sort of like guilt or maybe not enjoy your training as much whenever you first started because I'm sure the first week or so must have been so hard hundred percent. Yeah. And I still sometimes feel guilty because Izzy, like she, they want their mom. They want their mommy all the time. And, you know, some, some days I'll, I'll leave in the morning and she, and she knows I'm going to come back obviously, but you know, some days she is more clingy than others. And I always feel bad when she's asking for me and I have to walk out the door and go for a ride or go for a run. But, you know, it is my job and this is what, you know, I'm paid to do. And I'm doing this to, give her a brighter future. And that's what I remind myself. But certainly when she was really little, I struggled to get out the door. I struggled to, you know, leave her with, you know, somebody else to take care of her. And, and in the beginning, like it was, 
you know, I'd be gone for 90 minutes or I'd just ride the train. I just didn't really go out on the road. So I was, and I was also breastfeeding, so I couldn't really leave her for very long anyway, sort of 90 minutes to two hours max. But yeah, I mean, you kind of figure it out as you go. But yeah, I mean, I, I think any mother feels mummy guilt if they have to leave their child and, and, you know, I'm not doing this to be selfish. I'm doing that. Well, I guess it kind of is selfish, but it also is my job. And as I mentioned, I'm doing this to earn money to put away for her for a brighter future for her. So I'm sure she will be happy once she's a little older and can understand. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's selfish. Like there's lots of women that choose to work and some women that don't have a choice and they have to work. And regardless of what that work is, whether it be you're an athlete, whether it be you're a lawyer or whether it be you work in the grocery store, you know, people need to continue to make money. And for some people, they need to work as part of their identity. And for some people, they really want to stay home with their children. Yeah, I mean, everyone has their own path. And yeah, this is this is our path. And yeah, it's actually been a pretty fun journey so far. How do you deal with the sleep deprivation part? Because when the baby's little, you have to wake up to breastfeed the baby. And then when the baby, like as it gets older or she gets older, I'm sure she still wakes up at night and or wakes up earlier than you want to get up. And sleep is such a big part of recovery as an endurance athlete. So how have you managed that? Yeah, and I'm a big sleeper. I love I love sleep. Pride Izzy, I would probably have nine hours in the night and two hour nap in the daytime. So oh, wow. I'm big on sleep. So I was really nervous about that as well. But I think two things happen. When you're pregnant, you have all these different hormones. And I was just like amazed at how many times I could wake up in the night and how little sleep I got and still feel fine. So I think you kind of almost become a little bit superhuman. I mean, that's not to say that you definitely have days where you're exhausted. But again, that goes back to, you know, listening to your body and realizing that, okay, I really should do a really big hard session today because Izzy was up all night. And the other thing, Izzy's been a pretty good baby. She's not the best sleeper in the world, but we actually still have her sleeping in bed with us. Um, we tried to transition her out over the off season, but she wasn't ready to be in her own bed yet. So she's still sleeping in bed with us and we'll try again in this off season. It's a project that you need to be okay with not really sleeping for a week. And I can't do that during the season. And we sleep fine with her in bed with us. You know, I put her to bed in our bed at like eight and then I get some work done until nine, nine thirty, And then I hop in bed. She might wake up once or twice in the night and I'm still breastfeeding. So that's pretty easy. She just kind of basically just says booby. (laughs) (laughs) And then so I just give her booby and she falls back to sleep and I fall back to sleep. It's like not even, you know, even as awake as you would be if you got up to go to the toilet in the night. So it's just working well for us. And that's the way we've chosen to live. I mean, you know, there's certainly people who would frown upon it, but I think that's, I mean, this the easiest way to get sleep. And she's happy because she's with mom and dad. I wanted to ask you about the birth or the birth and the pain of giving birth, because mm-hmm. I was wondering, because like, Ironmans are painful. I don't know how that because I don't have any kids yet. So how does that compare to like the pain of giving birth? And then and the reco- I'm sure the recovery is painful as well. Oh, my God. The giving the whole giving birth thing. I it was is off the charts. Painful. Like I can't even like way worse than any race. Way worse. I feel like I know I, I said right after I said I do 10 Ironmans before I do another have another baby, you know, like. I think it's so, and my, um, everyone's experience is different. 
And we tried, I wanted to do it as natural as possible. And um, basically I was in labor, like painful labor from, I think like 8 p.m. Sunday evening. And she wasn't born until 2 a.m. Tuesday morning. Wow. So, yeah. (laughs) So it was intense. And the thing that gets you is, you know, like it's a like minute or 30 seconds to a minute of pain and then, you know, a few minutes off. And because you have that rest, you can deal with it. But once you start getting tired and you haven't slept, so we didn't sleep Sunday night and then we didn't, you know, sleep Monday night until she was born or all day Monday. You're basically almost 30 hours, I guess and missing a full night's sleep. It's the fatigue that gets you. You just become completely exhausted. And as you become more exhausted, the pain becomes more unbearable. And I ended up getting an epidural about 25 hours in because I could not handle another second of the pain. It was at that point in between the contractions, I felt like I had like a really kind of a period pain. So I wasn't really getting the rest. And I was like also couldn't hold any food down. So I was vomiting. So I wasn't getting energy. (laughs) So it was just rough. (laughs) Um, and you know, if I was to do it again, I would definitely go for the epidural earlier. If the same things were happening, if it seemed like a similar situation, I was stuck at about six centimeters dilation, which 10 is what you want to get to. And I think we're at six between six and seven and they broke my waters and said, the interactions are going to get more painful, but it should be like a centimeter an hour. And I said, okay, I can do three more hours. So they didn't check me for three hours. And then they checked me three hours later. And these are the most painful contractions. Like I can't even explain how painful. And then they checked me and I was still six centimeters. And that's kind of what broke my spirit. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I can't do this anymore. Like you said a centimeter an hour and it just wasn't happening. So we ended up getting an epidural and then I had to get up to Pitocin, which um, intensifies your contractions. And a few hours later, I was dilated and, and could push and, and she arrived and that was all, that was all great. Once you have the epidural, life is amazing. <laughs> um, I even had like an hour nap or something. But yeah, I mean, everyone, but everyone's experience is so different. Like you talk to some women and they say, oh, it's not that bad. You know, and I've heard people say, oh, Iron Man's more painful than childbirth. And but in my experience, childbirth was the most painful thing I could even imagine. <laughs> Has that helped you in your racing at all? Yeah, I think you, um, I mean, it's coming up to two years ago now. So, you know, it becomes, you know, over time, you kind of forget how painful it was. But closer to after I had her and when I started training again, I'm like, oh, oh this is the problem. I got this. I think it raises your pain threshold a little bit. But yeah, just remembering going through that when it was much fresher, I definitely felt like I could push through some pretty tough training sessions pretty well or better than I had prior to to having Isabel. Whenever you're pregnant and you had to start changing, you mentioned you had to change your identity. How did you do that? Because you had been a professional triathlete for a really long time. And as an athlete, you're always kind of in control of your body and it's like your number one priority. And now suddenly you're not really in control of your body anymore. And there's this human that's growing inside of you and every all the resources are going to go to that human first. Mm-hmm. How did you come to terms with that? Yeah, I feel like I remember not being a professional triathlete because, you know, I started the sport at 18, 19. I, you know, had kind of a more normal 
I mean, yes, I play basketball and I play at a competitive level, but that's nothing compared to the amount of time and energy I start put in put into once I started doing triathlon. And so I kind of remember not being professional. So it was kind of nice to let go of that identity and just be just, I mean, I, I still had a lot of commitments for sponsors and shout out to a, a lot of my sponsors. Goo was definitely one of them that um, kept, you know, paying me throughout my uh, pregnancy. And, you know, some of them decreased uh, the pay a little bit, but for the most part, everyone was on board and willing to, you know, pay me through the pregnancy. But yeah, I think, you know, I kept myself busy doing appearances and so forth. But then when I came home, you know, I was able to also support my husband. He's also a professional triathlete. So, you know, a lot of our competitors have a spouse who can help support them, do the groceries, do the laundry, cook dinner. And so I could support him throughout his lead up into Kona as well, which was which was nice to be able to do that for him. But yeah, I mean, I, I found it was a, like a welcome change. And as I said earlier, initially I felt a little lost because I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a big race to prepare for. I didn't have like something, you know, the year completely planned out. It was just like, okay, I'm just kind of hanging out, you know, like um, taking one day at a time. And honestly, I, I felt it was a great reset for me. It was a nice time to, you know, step back and, you know, take a breath after being so regimented and so um, locked into a schedule for so long. It was nice to step back and not have to get up and swim at X time and on Tuesday morning and not have to go and do that long ride on Saturday and not have to go and do my long run Sunday. Yeah, it was just a really good mental break. That's really great that you were in that space where it actually felt really good to take time off. Yeah, I think that just tells me that I was ready for it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever a perfect time to have a baby, but I think that was as perfect as it could have gotten for us. Like, I just was ready for that time in my life. And yeah, I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I wasn't looking at races. I mean, sometimes I'd see a race and see the girls racing and think, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I'd like to be out there competing. It was like kind of a small thought. It wasn't like all consuming, like, oh, I, I wish I was out there racing. It was like, oh, I, I liked racing and, I, you know, I'd like to get back to that. And good for them. It was kind of more like that than I really miss racing. I miss training sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the timing was was good for us. Changing gears a little bit, I want to talk about Olympics because particularly for me in mountain biking, there's only one distance and that's a bit of a sore spot for me because I'm an ultra endurance mountain biker. I don't do cross country racing and that's the only distance in the Olympics. For triathlon, how many different disciplines are there in the Olympics? Because there isn't like an Ironman distance Olympic sport. Yeah. So the Olympics, actually, I think it's changing now. So for the first time triathlon was in the Olympics with the, was the 2000 Olympics, which is really like when I first started triathlon, I did my first race the end of 99. And the first triathlon was in Sydney Olympics. So in Australia, and that distance was like a two hour event, you know, 1500 swim, meter swim, 40 kilometer bike, 10 K run. And that's what I was focused on initially. And that's the distance that I raced for the first few years of my triathlon career. And I like always aspired to go race in the Olympics. But then I sort of found out about Hawaii and the Ironman and that event really just struck a chord with me. Just the epicness, the, I don't know, just how amazing, incredible that race is. 
and so that sort of shifted my focus to Ironman and I was kind of like oh I kind of let go of that dream of doing the Olympics and for a little while I kind of felt a little bit conflicted about that and not to say that I ever would have made an Olympic team because I you know don't know if I would have because Australia at that point were we had like the top five in the world in 99 I think that Australian women went one two three four five at the world champs and I couldn't swim I wasn't a good swimmer and you know in that distance you really need to be in the front pack or very close to the front pack and it's draft legal biking so it was just tough for me to get to the front of the race and so anyway so I may have never made an Olympic team regardless I needed to go and make some money in triathlon. So I started racing in the U.S. and doing half Ironman events so that I could, you know, make some prize money and continue on this journey. And I'm glad that I made that decision. I'm glad I made that shift. It would have been amazing to go and represent my country at the Olympics, but to sit here now and say, you know, I've won three Ironman world titles is, I have zero regrets. Yeah, it's freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, and, you know, they always kind of joke, and talk about having it'd be cool to have an Ironman in the Olympics but you know I, I love the Olympics I love watching the Olympics but yeah I wouldn't change a thing my journey was to go for, for Ironman and race Ironman events and it's been incredible it's given me my whole life I met my husband through triathlon I live in Boulder beautiful Boulder Colorado we have a beautiful baby girl and I kind of owe it all to the sport yeah Ironman has done such an amazing job building this great discipline I think that some people don't even know that there are other distances except for Ironman because it's just talked about so much and everybody's like, lots of people aspire to finish an Ironman someday in their life. And yeah. the the world championship is just this massive thing that it's, it's really, really cool that in Ironman that that exists. Like I wish that on that scale, we had that in mountain biking and and Ironman did purchase a lot of stage races, which is what I, I primarily do, the multi-day races. Mm -hmm. And they're aspiring to blow up stage racing over the next several years. But yeah, I just think it's really fascinating how Ironman is so magnetic and how people are so proud to be an Ironman. And, and just like from anybody, from like the person, it's their very first time doing one and they get like the Ironman tattoo to people yeah. like you who have like built an entire career, a very impressive career and, and life around it. So yeah, I just want to say congratulations and thanks mm -hmm. so much for sharing everything about this. Oh, yeah, no, it's been my pleasure. And yeah, I just feel pretty blessed to be able to continue to live this life and, and race this crazy sport. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that really interesting episode with Rennie Carfrey and that you connect with her on her YouTube channel and on social media. And you can also go to her website if you want to learn more about Rennie. I just wanted to say that I really appreciate the reviews that you have been leaving on Apple Podcasts. I personally read every single one of them and they help me stay motivated and put wind in my sails. So thank you so much. And I'll see you right back here in a few days for an episode of Crush It Mondays. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventure. Have a nice weekend.